Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, North Stream, good ready. This Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. Today is a very phone-heavy day, but also some interesting laptop news and much more. But I'm going to start with a few security stories, as I normally do. I try to start off with the stories that you trying to keep yourself safe is more important. We're going to start off. With the, remember that whole iPhone vulnerability that we talked about last week? Yeah, the one with all the sites and how millions of iPhones were affected and nobody knew because nobody wanted to talk about it. And Google talked about it way too late. But by then it was all fixed. So it was like, hey, it's it's all great. But by the way, you've been hacked for years. Well, yeah, it turns out that same thing was going on in Android and Windows. I guess in the end, it's not that much of a surprise. But, uh, great. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> so, in fact, uh... Now, granted, Android and Windows, in addition to iOS, have, in fact, already been patched with this. Although, if you're in my boat, that same patch may have killed your USB 3 card, but, uh, I digress. The point is, is that this has been going on for a while, and for all of these various organizations of white hat hackers, the ones that go through, find these vulnerabilities, and bring them to attention to, so that they can be fixed, how, how on earth did it take this long for these sort of attacks to be revealed? You'd hear about sparse reports here and there, and of course, I'm pretty sure everyone here knows about the the great uh, phone attacks trying to get into your security. That being scam callers trying to call you and tell you that uh, your 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 Windows computer has been infected with malware and license key is deactivated, and you need to contact them right away. Uh, by the way, if they if you do get a call like that, I highly encourage you to definitely call them back and mess with them and never give them access to your computer. But you absolutely should play as dumb as possible. Or in my case, don't play dumb at all and just keep asking them which computer. Oh, your Windows computer. Which one? The one you use the most. You're going to have to be way more specific than that, buddy. It's so much fun, and it ruins their day. And their day deserves to be ruined. Just saying. So the moral of the story anyway is update your system. Make sure your your USB 3.0 card, if you're using an ancient machine like I am, that's way too powerful for its own good has mo- has a USB card that's actually supported by your by your operating system and make sure to mess with scam callers when they call you because they deserve to have their day ruined by the way that last one if you're not comfortable doing that just don't just just hang up on them it's that simple 
All right, let's shift gears quite a bit. If you ha- if you haven't been living under a rock, you've heard of Hurricane Dorian. This was the major hurricane that has been pretty much the talk of any pretty much every single news source in existence except for mine for the last 2 weeks. It's a major hurricane. It absolutely flattened the Bahamas and gave a metric ton of people a bad time. Plenty of companies are trying to do their best to give relief effort, but here's one I want to talk I want to focus on. First, OnStar is offering free ser- services to those who are affected by the hurricane. That means that those who are affected, stranded in their car, can call out for no fee. This is a good thing. You want, you want, if you're trapped in your car, you want to be able to get the information out. And using something like OnStar when your cell phone service is probably dead can be very helpful, assuming you're OnStar as service. But the one that actually blows me away is Tesla pushed out a software update so that their Tesla cars have more range in the areas where they're affected by the hurricane. I'm sorry, what? I mean, let's think about this logically for a second. In a gasoline car, you can only go as far as you have gasoline or diesel, depending on your vehicle, in the tank. Once you're out, that's it. Well, the same kind of goes for a battery-powered car. The moment you're out of battery juice, that's it. You keep some reserve power to power the, the various internals, so you can at least call for help when you're out of range. But it's not like you can just push a button and suddenly pump fuel into a gas tank. You can't just suddenly make diesel fuel spontaneously exist in a, in a diesel tank. And, spoiler alert, you can't just push a button and make electricity spontaneously appear in a battery. Unless you either have A, a solar panel, B, a wind turbine to, produ- to produce the electricity on it, or C, the entire time you had more juice than it let on. Yeah, okay, There is some juice left in the battery when the thing is quote-unquote dead so that it can power the internals. I did just mention that. But it's not enough to push the car unless what we've been told has been BS. Because the thing with a battery like a lithium polymer or a lithium-ion battery is that once it's dead, it's dead. There has to be some residual energy in it or else it's never going to take a charge again. This is also why a lot of the times, if you get like a really cheap rechargeable battery, it might just drain dead and then never charge up again. That's why. It let itself go down to zero because the battery controller was that garbage. So here's the thing. Either A... 
Teslas have a lot more juice left in left in a battery that is quote unquote dead than it lets on to believe than it lets us on to believe, or it's letting you use the battery to zero, which is super dangerous for for the Tesla. Seeing as how you know, once the battery's dead, that means you can't shift the gears to tow or anything like that. It is now a very very expensive brick. So either Tesla is has been lying or is letting people be irresponsible they're in a disaster. And I'm not going to lie, I mean it's important to get out, but if it means that your that your car is now a brick that is permanently over at the panhandle, is that really worth it? Maybe it's just me. But I found that interesting. That there's just a software update that can go down that magically puts more juice in the car. Hmm. In a completely different topic, Michigan becomes the first state to straight up ban e-cigarette vaping products. Specifically, they're flavored, though. So this is something that's actually been in the at least the local news around here quite a bit. The fact that e-cigarettes, vaping products, are now being accused of being dangerous. And actually what it turns out is that uh, they were putting in an absurd amount of a completely different kind of drug into the e-cigarettes and vaping that, but I digress. This is now the first state to ban them straight up, period. Huh. Last I checked, Michigan doesn't hasn't even banned regular cigarettes. But but the electronic ones, the the vaping is just no. It is now forbidden. It is the forbidden fruit. Except it's a vaporizer. Seriously, though, the fact that it's Michigan and not California to first ban them actually should raise more alarms to than, 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 than a place like California banning them. It will be interesting to see how this plays out. Because originally they were launched as a way for those addicted to nicotine to try and lean off it. Because they could still get the sensation and just lower their dose of the nicotine. And then at the same time not inhale any of the dangerous tar from actual cigarettes. And now it's very quickly becoming a problem rather than a solution. Just a little something to contemplate. 
What's that? E-cigarettes aren't techy enough for you? All right, well, how about this? I'm not in the mood to uh, to carry Windows 10's water at all. After all, Windows 10 gave me a nightmare and a half trying to install a Wi-Fi driver on a tablet. And Windows 10 is part of the reason why my uh, capture card has been failing for the last week. And then to make matters worse, the latest Windows 10 update can in fact cause Cortana to absolutely obliterate your CPU. The digital assistant within Windows 10 named Cortana, and I'm not, unlike the other digital assistants, I'm not afraid to say Cortana because none of you should have Cortana enabled anyway. It's terrible and now can use up to, in some cases, 66% of your processor. That's actually for funsies. Is Cortana taking up any of my CPU right now? I kind of doubt it. My CPU usage is actually crazy low for this system. Cortana is taking up zero. Zero, 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 because I have it set correctly. But yeah, between 50 and 66% of your CPU. And possibly if it's something like my uh, Atom system, it might even just straight up take 100% of it, because why not? Why not? The update causes Cortana... The ping bing just kind of randomly just to make sure that bing still exists and that's what's chewing underline chewing up a metric ton of CPU cycles so yeah don't enable Cortana if you have disable it Because you're going to find out the reason your system is slow is because of Cortana. Alright, let's shift gears. The Twitter CEO had his account hacked. Go figure that one out. You want to know how it happened? This is actually incredible. Without him knowing, his SIM card was swapped. By swapping out his SIM card... They were able to take control of the Twitter account by simply doing a password reset and just having the password sent to his phone. It's kind of why the hacker rule is once you have your hands on the device, all bets are off. Because then any sort of quote-unquote hack is brain-dead simple. And it took exactly, oh, 20 minutes 
for the CEO's Twitter account to start spouting hate speech. Because, of course, what else would you do than just try to ruin a guy's life by just having his Twitter account just spam the most hateful, stupid things on the planet? So, yeah, he did something dumb. What about it? Let me tell you about something I picked up. I've kind of talked about it on the stream. I don't know how much I've talked about it on the podcast. But I currently have in my possession a tablet computer. It is a Dell Venue 5130 tablet. A cute little thing. 11-inch tablet with a key- with a keyboard in it. Can turn into a little netbook. Runs win- Originally ran Windows 8, now runs Windows 10. Do you know what I found in it? I found a cellular modem. It does have cellular capabilities with any carrier in the U.S. It's really nice. The original owner left their SIM card in the device. And yes, it had info on it. The card was deactivated. So I couldn't consume their data. But it did have the company's name. The previous owner's name. The previous owner's cell phone number. It had all sorts of very valuable information. To anyone who was more dishonest than I. Now I, of course, went and destroyed the SIM card. It is in a million pieces. It is never going to be misused. Because, of course, I refurbish computers. Anytime there is any sort of data on anything that can store data, I wipe it. Because the last thing I ever want is someone accusing me of misusing that. So, no. I don't even remember what the number was, what the name was, what anything of it was. But that SIM card is now dust. But what if I wasn't an honest guy? That's how these hacks happen. And that's why this story is in the early section. If you are selling a phone on Craigslist... If you are sending a phone off to get repaired or anything of that nature. Well, maybe not repaired. Depends on how much you trust the repair shop. Honestly, a lot of phones is just hard to get repaired, period. Take the SIM card out. I cannot stress this enough. Even if the SIM card is deactivated. Make sure that SIM card is either destroyed. Or given to the carrier. Because if it falls in the wrong hands. 
you've got a problem. All right, there is that. Is that enough? Uh, is that enough scare stuff for you? Is that enough talking about security? Should we get to the fun stuff? Let's take a break before we get to the fun stuff. When we come back, the epic saga of the Galaxy Fold. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. Eagle Falcon. All right, so... <laughs> the Galaxy Fold. Let's back up in time a little bit here. The Galaxy Fold originally launched out. It was going to be the first folding phone on the market. It's not, by the way. A company called Royale beat them to it with a kind of okay phone. But when the review copies of the Samsung Galaxy Fold got out, um, it turned out that just casual use by the reviewers uh, caused the screens to break. That was not so good news. So, Samsung canceled all the pre-orders. By the way, the pre-orders were for $2,000 for this phone. Which effectively makes you a which eventually makes you a two thousand dollar beta tester. Let that one sink in anyone who actually put money down on this. Which then brings us to this past week. Early in the week, the Samsung Galaxy Fold went back up for pre-sale. You could register to get the phone. It looked like everything was great and fantastic. I just realized something was out of order. So I'm going to go quickly fix that. There we go. So great. Now those of you who want to be who want to pay $2000 to be a beta tester, now you can. And now Folding Folds will be in the wild, and it'll be great and wonderful, and I can't wait to get a folding phone in six years when they actually become affordable to someone who is not a gajillionaire. Or someone who just doesn't want to be a beta tester for that fact. I mean, two grand? No thank you. All right? Wow, my things are way out of order. Holy cow. There we go. Alright, then after that, a few days later, it was announced that the Galaxy Fold was already sold out in Korea. That the first batch of these folds may have just been only a thousand units is what a lot of people are speculating, which is probably true. The first batch only being a small amount, wanting to make sure that everything is kosher. I mean, it's already a phone that is six months late. And then, not too long after, 
all the pre-orders in the U.S. canceled. But as a way to say to say sorry, not only do you get your money back as the pre-order, but you get a two hundred and fifty dollars store credit. Within one week, this phone goes from being available, going from being able to be to be pre-ordered and is going to be in your hands to no. In one week. Now, this is only in the U.S. We don't know about Korea, where it's supposedly already sold out. But, you know, that's okay. There's reports out that says the, 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 the new fold's going to be even stronger, even though no one can order one now. Uh, that, that, that's great news and all, right? <laughs> and you know what's even better? It's, it, it's been made official. The Samsung Galaxy Fold is never coming to Canada. So you got one country, Samsung's home country, in which the Galaxy Fold has is going to be out and has sold out. You can now no longer pre-order in Korea. That's South Korea, by the way. Before anyone says anything stupid. In the US, you can no longer pre-order it. And in Canada... It will never come. Never. But hey, Huawei will have a a foldable phone soon. The the Mate X is going to be a foldable phone with a screen on the outside so that you too can not only... Watch as your as your new expensive Huawei foldable phone will collect all sorts of data on you because it's Huawei, and then spy on you and send that off to who knows where. But on top of that, they put the folding screen on the outside of the device. If you don't know. We know all thanks to the YouTube channel Jerry Riggs Everything that on Moe's scale of hardness, these foldable screens scratch at a level two. That is lower than hard plastic. Hard plastic scratches at a level three to four. And tempered glass, which is what every single smartphone pretty much runs with, starts scratching at a level 6 and then really starts scratching at a level 7. The foldable screen scratches to pocket lint. Wonderful. And they put this super fragile screen on the outside. I get that it's easier to manufacture that way, but I'm sorry. Samsung did it right. They put the more fragile screen on the inside. And from the perspective of of having a device last long. I mean, if you're if you're selling out $2,000 for a phone, 
it better last. The average smartphone, you expect it to last at least two years. I actually expect it to last even longer, but I also, you know, I freaking, I mean, what would it, it'd be safe to say that I'm more of a junkyard computer enthusiast. Taking old machines scrapped off that still have potential life back in them and resurrecting them. I mean, heck, that's why I have a <laughs> have a Dell venue. Frickin' Atom-based tablet. That's why my main rig is one from ten years ago. But, I mean, I always try to squeeze every drop of life I can get out of a system. But to me, the design of the Mate X, besides just being from Huawei, is flawed. The same thing goes with the Royale phone. I forgot what it was called. But it does the same thing. It has a screen on the outside. And I think that's the wrong way to go with a device like this. That is, to me, unacceptable. Until you find a flexible material for these screens that can withstand more stuff. And, oh, by the way... Screen protectors are forbidden on these flex screen phones. So if you think you can just slap on like some sort of screen protector, like one of the really good ones from from Zags or whatever, nope. Not happening. Not allowed. But they're still early. And we'll see what the future holds for them. Android 10. is coming soon, TM. And we're seeing a lot of the ver- various features on it. Now, you can actually already get Android 10 on the Pixel smartphones. You can get it on the Pixel XL, Pixel 2, Pixel 2 XL, Pixel 3, Pixel 3 XL, Pixel 3a, and the Pixel 3a XL. That was a mouthful and a half. And honestly, I mean, I'll pretty much summarize it the same way that GSM Arena did. There's going to be new gestures. There's going to be new privacy features that hopefully work and that the manufacturers won't muck up. And probably most importantly, at least for me, there is going to be a native dark theme I'll tell you what as much as I love my Samsung phone with its dark with its uh, dark theme built into it it's nice and all but because it's not native there's plenty of apps that just don't use it I am looking forward to it because if there's one thing I hate on these nice crisp AMOLED screens that can get so bright you might as well be staring into the sun it's that light sensor thinking that it needs to be as bright as possible and then sear out my retinas because I pulled down the white menu 
There's, of course, many other features in Android 10. Not nearly as many of them all that important. Some of them are important to you. Some of them, are, most of them probably aren't going to be. But here's something that actually I'm a, I'm a little disappointed. One tradition of Android is that whenever a new version comes out, they come up with a dessert name that names the operating system. This would be Android Q. And Google has, well, they threw in the towel. They could not come up with a dessert name that starts with Q. So it will, in fact, just be called Android 10. Oh well, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of, I kind of forgot about the whole dessert thing. Rico in the chat po- s- says he can think of one, but it's for a quiche. See, and and that's the thing. Like that's all people go. Oh, quiche. Huh. I'm sure those. I'm sure those of you who are across the pond could probably name something from like I don't know the Danish the Middle East or something something that I'd have no prayer of ever pronouncing if I actually saw it written in chat that started with a Q but that's about it so Android 10 there you go The other announcement that was also made with this, and this was made from Google, but the Essential Phone and the OnePlus 7 Pro will, in fact, have desktop modes with Android 10 when it comes out. This means that all they have to do is hook up the phone to a dock, that dock then hooking up to a keyboard, mouse, and monitor, and then use their phone as though it was a desktop. It sounds cute and all, right? But um But uh here's the question you should be asking. Why? Why would you do that? It's one thing for say and I feel like I keep bragging about the fact I have this cheap tablet, but my den- my my little 10-inch Windows tablet. That makes sense, because it runs Windows. I can, in fact, run Windows applications on it. So, yeah, hooking that up to a screen, keyboard, and mouse makes sense. You know, until you remember that it's a 1.6 gigahertz Atom, and that it struggles to run Chrome. And then you just go, oh, poor little thing. The thing is that the phone can run Android extremely well, but what does bigger Android give you? 
Nothing. Let's be real honest. Android is built for the phone. Making it bigger and not having a touchscreen does not help Android. If anything, it makes it worse. Because now your big 21-inch screen, which is about the biggest I'd ever use with a phone, like ever, is just going to have full-screen Chrome on it. The end. Oh, I can do Google Docs. Okay, full-screen Google, Google Docs. That might, in fact, be the only case. In fact, Mod Farmer in the chat, as I was saying it, just brought brought up the, the same point. That's That's fair to him, though. He, you know... Chat, chat's operating on a delay. I just found that kind of funny. But outside of Google Docs, can you name anything? And if you say Flappy Bird, stop it. No. Bad. But Eagle... Desktop mode hasn't existed in Android on a major scale. With it being an Android 10, developers will start making it actually happen for their things and it'll actually be good again. Okay, you may have a point, derpy Tristan voiced me. So we'll see. Time will tell. But now, speaking of folding phones, though, um, two patents may point to Microsoft trying to make a foldable device. It is rumored that on October 2nd, or I'm sorry, not rumored. On October 2nd, Microsoft will be holding its next service event, and it is rumored that there will in fact be a folding Surface device revealed at this event. And two more patents kind of push to this sort of thing. This could be very interesting. A foldable tablet. Having it just be not really like a phone that doubles in size to become like a mini tablet, but actually a full-blown tablet shrinking down to something a bit more portable. That could be interesting. We'll have to see, but again, you have the problem of the screen. Like I said, pretty much every folding screen right now is super fragile. Scratching at a level 2 on Moe's scale of hardness. So, again... That folding screen better fold inside for the sake of durability. All right, I was actually going to I was actually hoping to start the next segment with the story, but we'll we'll put it at the tail end of this one. How about that? On a completely different note, Intel has introduced Integer scaling support. So this means on Intel GPUs, because we all love the performance of those. Actually, I kid. The, the, 
integrated in Intel GPUs do serve an important purpose. Because there are plenty of devices that you want to have long battery life and don't want to stick an RTX Titan into to turn your 10-hour battery life down to 10 minutes. Seconds. Nanoseconds. Anyway, the whole point of integer scaling is to actually turn quote-unquote retro-style graphics, that being pixel-based sprites or anything of that nature to actually show each pixel crisply, if that's a word. The old method of showing those sort of things, if you actually zoomed in closely, there'd be a lot of blurred lines around it. It was like the GPU was trying to inject pixels where there weren't in games like, in the case of the Hexus article showing Terraria. On the left, you see how it was before, even though you wouldn't really notice it, because, of course, the sprites are small. And then on the right there, for those watching the video version of this, you see the pixels looking very crisp. You also kind of notice this if you're doing, like, a very basic capture of, say, a retro console without any sort of good upscaler. You would notice a lot of that kind of blurriness around each individual pixel where the pixels are the size of cats. So this will be pushing out to the Intel GPUs soon. I'm not going to lie. I have no idea how discrete GPUs from AMD and Nvidia handle these sort of retro graphics. It has never crossed my mind to take my quote-unquote high-end gaming rig and try to have it play Final Fantasy 1 to see just how just to see how perfect the pixels were on it. it the, the thought never crossed my mind. So there's Intel being good. Now let's talk about Intel being bad because um remember how amd was kind of just coming up with any sort of excuse in the world for why its processors just aren't doing really well or trying to hype themselves up and make themselves sound big and then just that was a big thing for amd for a while saying oh Bulldozer's going to be it. Bulldozer's going to be the tip. We're going to bring so many cores. And yeah, we're going to crush Intel. It's going to be great. AMD will be great again. And then... They push out an eight-core CPU that behaves like a quad-core and performs like a dual-core. Well, now the tables have turned. Intel can't seem to figure out how to make a 10-nanometer chip... AMD is making 7 nanometer chips, even though some of the components are 14 nanometer, but I digress. And AMD has finally, after over a decade, become not only competitive with Intel, actually producing similar results 
for both well similar results for single core processing but also crushing intel in multi core processing well what does intel do uh they release a new high end processor the 9900ks which is basically the 9900K, except we swear you can overclock this to 5 gigahertz. Even though the benchmarkers have said, yeah, um... We have yet to find a 9900K that couldn't do 5 gigahertz. But then also started saying... CPUs should have real-world benchmarking on them. (laughs) You what? Oh, now you're concerned with benchmarking. Now that synthetic benchmarkings don't make Intel look good, now we should push for real-world benchmarking, the synthetic ones of Cinebench and whatnot, They aren't good enough, because they make us look bad. We should instead use real-world benchmarking. You know what my favorite, though, is um, their list of applications that should be used for, quote-unquote, real-world benchmarking. Oh, it's great. It's great. Try this. Um... What they're saying you should use for for benchmarking an Intel CPU is applications like Chrome. I want to remind you that Chrome is not a CPU a CPU based stress test. It is a RAM based stress test. Word. Windows Media Player. Windows Media Player. Should be a benchmarking tool. Look out. (laughs) Microsoft Excel, WinRAR, PowerPoint, OneDrive. What's the point of any of these? The only time you actually get down to some applications that might actually make a processor sweat a little bit is Photoshop, League of Legends, CSGO, Illustrator. And it's just... Why? Intel. First off, you claim 21% of users use Windows Media Player. I call BS. I don't think Windows Media Player exists anymore. Let me actually quickly do do a check in my system. Windows Media. Oh my god, Windows Media Player actually still is inside uh, inside Windows 10. I thought Windows Media Player was just like replaced across the board with with Microsoft Groove. The point is is that Windows Media Player couldn't make my Freaking 1.6 gigahertz atom-based tablet sweat. 
Word, Excel, give me a break. Again, the most demanding thing on this entire list is either Photoshop, Illustrator, or Chrome. And Chrome is only stressful because it absolutely taxes your RAM. Give me a break. Intel, you are you're, you're you're making yourself look stupid. Stop it. Get some help. Uh I want to meet who these 21 what the 21% of users who actually use Windows Media Player are. I want to meet these people. Rayco in the chat says, I think they mean 20% of users accidentally opened up Windows Media Player once before realizing they, they hadn't installed VLC yet. I want to know what operating systems are running too, because the default media player in Windows 10, again, is Groove. It's kind of like how, yeah, Internet Explorer is still on Windows 10, but Edge is the default, which will soon be Chrome. Which will soon obliterate all of your RAM. Alright. Let's shift gears radically. NVIDIA has rolled out. What is now the world's most powerful. Professional GPU for laptops. The Quadro RTX 6000. And NeoGunner. Firefox still gets love, at least from me. Because the that little Windows laptop pretty much could only run Firefox. Uh Edge and uh and Chrome were way too much for it. Poor little guy. Poor little guy. <laughs> But anyway, the Quadro RTX 6000 exists. Which means now stupid, crazy, overpowered mobile workstations can now have a monster of a GPU in it. And I cannot wait to see laptops with these C- with these GPUs come out Onto the used market in two years. Like, that's the unfortunate thing. For for those of us who are just in, like, the common computer space, we're never going to see a Quadro RTX 6000. We're never going to. We're only going to see it in two years when the professionals who actually shell out the ludicrous amount, amounts of cash to get a system like this move on to the next one, which is usually about two years. That's how long these leases normally are. So the RTX 6000 is normally like... It's in like the 5000 category of quadros, I believe. So that's normally about the $5,000 GPU. I don't know what it is... Nowadays, it actually might be cheaper because now a lot of the features that were quadro specific are now on GeForce. Oh, Mob Farmer in the chat says the $3,600 card. Amazon has one of the desktop cards for 
3560. Yeah, now take that card, that desktop GPU, which is basically a Titan RTX for professionals, and put it in a laptop. So that actually is a big deal. But here's what's actually freaky about this GPU and why it's actually more noteworthy than usual. Because you'd think, oh, well, who cares? I mean, it's, it's just a mobile version of that card. It's not going to be that powerful. I have here a chart that compares the specs. The CUDA core count is exactly the same. 4,608 CUDA cores on both the desktop and mobile version. The Tensor cores, 576 on both. The Ray Tracing cores, 72 on both. We don't get a clock speed, however, but that's clearly where the sacrifice is made. The desktop version gets 16.3 teraflops. The mobile version gets 14.9 teraflops so there's clearly our difference in addition the max power consumption the desktop version 295 watts which is that's nuts for a desktop GPU that is crazy high for a professional GPU that is ludicrously high Professional GPUs aren't like gaming GPUs. You normally see 300 watts on like the whatever 80 Ti's or the Titans or whatever ridiculous nonsensical GPU. My stream alerts. I apologize for that for that sounder. Whoopsie doodles. But uh, in any case. 300 watts is high for a desktop GPU. The mobile GPU is 250 watts. Most mobile workstations, and I've seen a lot of mobile workstations, they usually ship with a 240 watt adapter to power the entire system. They normally ship with a 45-watt CPU. The rest, of the, the remainder of the system takes another 10 watts, and the GPU takes usually about 50 to 100 watts. The RTX 2000 Mobile is 250. The, the biggest AC adapter... You can have, you can actually have, for a laptop, the legal limit is usually 320 watts. After that, those laptops usually ship with multiple AC adapters. I think it has to do with, like, the limits of what you can fly with. So, here's my question, NVIDIA. 
Are you going to make a mobile version of this uh, RTX 6000? I want to see the gaming version of this card that won't cost my kidney both of them. And I want to see how it performs. I also want to see how much heat is going to pump out of it. Oh, and by the way, if you think this is just, oh yeah, yeah, we're we're going to go ahead and just, uh, we're just going to release this mobile GPU and no one's going to use it. Asus is officially the first lunatic to put it into a laptop. Asus has created the StudioBook 1, and it is officially the first laptop and the most graphically powerful laptop running the Quadro RTX 6. Um, so a couple of things I notice from this particular laptop from Asus, um, it's thin. It almost looks like, it looks like about the same dimensions as a MacBook Pro. How is this sucker going to dissipate 300 watts of CPU and GPU performance? How on earth is that going to happen in this chassis? I mean, it's not like Asus is as dumb with thermals as Apple. They must have some kind of solution. And I hope the solution isn't an external water block or liquid nitrogen. But that is definitely going to have to be seen. In addition, Acer is getting into the professional market with its Concept D Pro laptops, and they will, in fact, pack Quadro RTX GPUs. So I've been ripping on... Acer for a long, long time when it comes to laptop quality. And it mostly has to do with the fact that, as I said earlier, I tend to go through used laptop lots a lot. I do it all the time. Go through laptop lots, find what's usable, repair them, and resell them. It's what I did for five years. There's a reason I don't like Acer laptops. Because when I see a pallet of them, all of them are broken. Bad motherboards, melted keyboards, cracked screens that cracked just in shipping, plastic bodies that don't hold up, and the concept of them having professional laptops because of my history with Acer, is hilarious. Because it's the same sort sort of concept as saying Hot Wheels making an actual car. They make toys. Actually, I say that, and knowing my luck, some guy in the chat's gonna say, Hey, Eagle, you idiot! Hot Wheels makes cars. They make some sports cars over in Siberia or something like that. 
Yeah, okay. But yeah, and people tell me all the time, oh, my Acer laptop's been fine. I've seen way too many Acer corpses to trust them. That's just me. Maybe they've improved. I'll admit, I haven't been in the laptop refurbishing gig in a long, long time. And also from the from the Department of Chat Sarcasm, uh, Tesla bought Hot Wheels and is using them to produce their cars. Totally. By the way, that was sarcasm. So yeah, uh, Concept D, Acer laptops that are professional grade. I'm not going to lie though, uh, their picture, it makes it still look like a toy. It looks like a white plastic laptop. I would not trust this this laptop that is supposedly going to be a mobile workstation running up to a Quadro RTX 5000 to do real, actual, legitimate work. I wouldn't trust it. Period. End of story. In addition to that, Asus went ahead and tried to be even crazier than having a laptop with a 600 with a I'm sorry not 600 a 250 watt GPU but they also went and made a laptop with the with the step down RTX 5000 quadro card and put a screen in the trackpad because multiple screens in laptops is starting to come back unfortunately they're not the pull-out screens from, say, oh, I don't know. What was it? Um, I'm not sure if it was IBM or Lenovo. I think it was, like, right during the transition. But there was a laptop called the, the ThinkPad W700DS, a 17-inch mobile workstation laptop that packed one of the best quadro cards at the time, a Core 2 Quad GPU, a 17-inch screen, and a pull-out 10-inch screen on it. I liked that concept, but I admit I am a lunatic. Unfortunately, I never got my hands on the computer. Um, It was only made for a short amount of time, and uh, the last time I checked on, it still sold for like $700, despite the fact that it's a... At the time, it was like an eight-year-old laptop. Who knows if it's even available on the used market anymore. Though in the same world of professional equipment, Asus wants to wants to take a look at Apple's Pro Display with a hilariously overpriced monitor stand and say, I think we can do better than that. Now, I talked about the time when the Apple, what is it, the XFR 
not the XFR, the XRD display, I think, it doesn't matter. The Apple Pro display It, the whole point of it was that it had impressive color accuracy and impressive brightness with impressive resolution that really was only matched by either A, studio monitors that Sony believes they can charge way too much for, or Dell. No joke, when the Apple Pro Display was announced, the only other computer company in existence that had anything remotely close to the Apple Pro Display was Dell having a 8K ultra-sharp monitor with similar specs. And I even said at the time that the Dell monitor was priced at $4,000 with a stand, mind you. So it puts Apple's monitor, you know, Close-ish. Except that stand was just way too overpriced. And it's still a joke to this day. Asus wants in on this. They are creating a monitor to do this. The There's only one problem with the quote. I want to make sure I have this. The Asus Pro Art display. So how do we know if it's going to be any good or not? Because that's the thing. The biggest laughable part about the, oh, hey, look, there's actually the, the Apple Pro Display name. It was actually in the article this whole time, and I just didn't bother reading it. The Apple's Pro Display XDR is the fact that it is considered high. $5,000 for a monitor to anyone who's just like, well, I just need a monitor, seems outrageous. However, as I covered before, 4000 5000 for that kind of brightness, contrast, and color accuracy in the professional world is pretty close to normal. What if this, but what's this Asus one? Oh, I'm sorry. It's five thousand for the for the Pro Pro XDR without the stand, then plus the thousand dollars for for an Apple stand that, by the way, has less. Un, I want to stress this because this actually is the part that nobody's talking about. That one thousand dollar Apple stand has less functionality than the three stands I ha- I have on each. Of my eight-year-old Dell UltraSharp monitors. And by the way, those stands came with the monitor. We got to make sure to rub that in. Not only is it a $1,000 monitor stand, it's not even a good monitor stand. It has no height adjustment. It just has swivel, tilt, and rotation. That's it. Always remember that. We'll have to see in the future if 
first off, A, if more people try to compete with the Pro Display XDR, because I would love to see the Pro Display XDR be brought down a couple of pegs before it's even out. And also, just how low the price can get when these manufacturers actually try to go hit this high-end display market. Alright, and then I believe this is actually my... Is this my last story from uh, from IFA? No, it's my second last story from IFA. We'll just, we'll just cut on real quick, because we're already starting to get way past time. We were supposed to, This podcast is already, like, eight minutes over time. Acer has launched new monitors that reach up to 240 hertz. 240 FPS is starting to become more and more and more commonplace. Which, depending on you look at, is either good or bad. It's either A, good, because that means there's going to be more competition, the price is going to go down, or bad, because no one's going to focus on screen screen size, color accuracy, or anything of that nature, because they're way too focused on pushing the hertz. Please, argue, argue about it amongst you in anywhere else. In fact, actually, I think no one here really cares. They just want monitor that works. Acer also has unveiled a new thermal pad that can boost CPU performance by over 12%. Uh, yeah, about that. Um, the benchmarkers who have tested thermal pads in the past saw nothing but performance loss from CPU thermal pads over thermal paste because there are sections of the CPU because the CPU is not perfectly flat and the bottom of your CPU cooler is also not perfectly flat that contact is not made where thermal paste can make but yeah I can't wait for anyone but me to test this we will see More code in iOS 13 suggests that there could be new physical augmented reality glasses coming from Apple. I doubt it. I'll just say it straight up. I think Google Glass has killed AR glasses. Almost no one is trying for it. No one is working on it. It might happen. I doubt it will. We will see, though. AMD is going to be addressing the second-gen Ryzen boost clock problems in a BIOS update. Basically, real quick, if you're running the newest the newest Ryzen processors, hope you're enjoying it. Also, update your BIOS. You're actually going to get even more performance out of it. 
All right, let's get to some of the weird stories, shall we? There is a new app called Zao that will scan your face and inject your face into a TV show. As you watch it. So first off, two things. One. Are we officially in the future yet? Because I'm pretty sure 10-year-old me would have never thought anything like this would have been possible. And two... What are they going to use our face for? We already saw, what was it, faceapp.net or whatever the heck it was, the one that was that was made by a Russian company. We already saw that they used all the faces they used for the scan and then age it and then throw it back to you and then horrify you. We saw that they were using that in their EULA for, you know, advertisements. So, I mean, what's Zhao getting out of it? Well, everyone's now asking that. The app was released literally on Friday, just a couple of days ago from when... Actually, no, a little over a week ago. I'm sorry, I'm I'm reading the wrong date. It was launched a little over a week ago, and, well... Yeah, it didn't take long for people to have privacy concerns. Immediately, the first thought that went to people's heads is, is this compromised security? Good! It means people are thinking critically. Alleluia! Working brains are out there in the world. That is good to know. Now, here's a headline for you from ZDNet before we get to the last burb story. Facebook and Microsoft are willing to pay out up to $10 million as bounties to create tools to spot deep fake videos. That whole app I talked about earlier that could replace your video, your face in a, in a, uh, in a movie. Well, that's, uh, what if, say, someone else used your face to make it look like you supported the extermination of all squirrels in the world? That could be super bad. And so that sort of thing, that these deep fake videos need to be stopped. Which then brings us to... The last burb story. The last story of the day. The weirdest story of the day. From the Wall Street Journal. Fraudsters used AI 
to mimic a CEO's voice to commit fraud within the company. They use a computer to simulate the chief executive officer's voice to transfer 220 euros from the company to the criminal's account. Now, most of the story, unfortunately, is blocked to me because I don't want to sign up to the Wall Street Journal. And I am out of free views of it, if there ever were any. I actually don't know. But just the concept alone tells you a lot, doesn't it? Did I say 220 euros? 220,000 euros. Is that better now that I've added the three zeros and actually have the correct decimal? Yeah, it, it is quite a bit. So once again, I just like to say, you know, maybe having additional security measures in your company might be a good idea. You know, just might be. That's going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Please make sure to check out my daily podcast, The Early Bird Briefing, which you can find on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google, or wherever you found this one. We're pretty much everywhere. And also, check out my Twitch page, my Twitch channel, where I stream every Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday at twitch.tv slash eaglefalcon. Take care and have a great day. the real question is just how easy is it to get a hold of this kind of artificial intelligence and how much despair can i spread across the world with this power <laughs> i have been fed that's a fact i have been fed that's a fact my credit card purchases get me cash back my credit card purchases get me cash back no one else gets these rewards sergeant that is just plain untrue what in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggin'!
friends, you've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCOA.